You said PWA. What is that? I haven't heard that TLA before. Progressive website. Or, oh my God. Progressive web application. Ah, okay. That's a good TLA. So, uh, do, do you know what TLA is? T- no. It's a three letter acronym. It's a, TLA is a three letter acronym. Oh for my three God. Letter acronym. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Welcome to episode 289 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back to another episode. New week, new pod. Uh, Marshall, we've got a lot to get through. Yeah, we do. Let's do this quick. Okay, five minutes race ago. <laughs> Before we get into it, we don't have any sponsors this week. Yeah. So that's it. We can just get into it. That's pretty nice. No need to fast forward. <laughs> yeah, don't fast forward. We're going. Here we go. Marshall, some follow-up. I wanted to talk about last week's episode. So last week you recommended a toothbrush. I did. I laughed at this recommendation. You did. Then I got the toothbrush. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. I think you could probably spend half as much and get just as good of a, an electric toothbrush, but the quality of life stuff is really nice. Like the quality of the materials, the charger, like those things are really cool. The head replacement stuff, like the way the the brush adjusts depending on which head is plugged in is really nice but those all feel like quality of life things those aren't actually going to make you uh have necessarily cleaner teeth cleaner teeth the tongue attachment is nice though like being able to brush your tongue with the specific tongue thing yeah that i like that one a lot well the the app is fine i haven't really used it i used it i think for the first two times but sure uh it did this really weird thing where it, it like maps out the zones that you're supposed to brush yep and it didn't map out like the back of my top front teeth and the back of my bottom front teeth. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Maybe it's going to tell me to do those afterwards. And it never did. And then after I finished brushing, it was like, oh, you missed these two segments. I'm like, but you never told me to brush those two segments. It was really weird. Huh. Yeah, it leaves like your teeth, like your teeth all start yellow. And then as you brush each section, it makes them white. Yeah. And if they're not like that, and it breaks up by inside and outside of the tooth so and like the inside if you, has a different vibration i'm like what's going on here is this is this bullshit or is there like actual science to the different vibration on the inside I don't wait know. is there a different vibration on the inside uh-huh huh i never noticed that okay um it's a long brush it's like four minutes instead of two minutes oh maybe you're doing a different mode wow maybe maybe my experience is totally unique from yours it's possible Maybe you get a newer version. I have that personalized algorithm, Facebook <laughs> Facebook connected toothbrush. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they know what I've been eating, so I needed four minutes that night. There's a camera and a microphone in the toothbrush. Did I mention that? <laughs> oh, whoops. It tracks all my credit card purchases? Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> especially the one used to buy the, the, the toothbrush itself. Yes, yeah, especially that one. Yeah. It, well, anyways, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you get the toothbrush. I'm sad that it isn't living up to your expectations. No, no, no. So. I, I should preface this. This is like 10,000 times better than the manual. I just, like, if I was going to give honest advice to a listener, is like, it is really, really good. But you should only buy a Mercedes if you want people to know that you have a Mercedes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you could spend half as much and get a nice Hyundai. Yeah, and have a nice car to get you from A to B. But it will not have really, really nice buttons, and it won't look as pretty. So, I don't know. I know that these things do last a while. I think the last electric toothbrush I had lasted several years, so I'm not really concerned 
too much, but uh, it's an investment, Brian. <laughs> sure, in well, your, in that, your that's oral hygiene. Not how investments work, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I guess. Yeah, it's, for your it's teeth, like, it's a non-negative ROI, right? Have you noticed? Uh, have you gotten called out on the like the flashing light on the end? Like, oh, you're brushing too hard, or you're pushing too hard? Uh, usually going too fast. Yeah. 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 See, you didn't even know, and now you do. <laughs> So not knocking the toothbrush. It is a very good toothbrush, but my follow-up is it's it's the Mercedes. So not everyone needs a Mercedes. I probably didn't need a Mercedes, but it's fun to own a Mercedes. True. Um, but anyways. How about news? Do news. we have any, any new things to talk about? Yeah, not too much this week, except I did notice one, one cool link came up in my Twitter's feed this week uh, by Jan Jablonski. Do you recognize that name? I do. So... Jan's work has been mentioned on the show when we did the Principles of Design episode. Uh, he made the Principles of Design website, and he's made a new website. It's called uh, Humane by Design, which is a new set of principles about bringing humanity into the design process. Uh, it's it's a nice resource. I like the design of the site. It's fun to click around. As far as like websites go, it's just nice. It's not it's not a standard web design. Like there are cool interactions and loading states and animations and all this stuff. Um, the content I think is good. I think there's a lot of interesting further reading links as you go through each section. And the principles at a cursory skim seem good. Like it's more thinking um, ethically about the design process, less so about like, you know, color theory and, and white space. And it's more about like how will people use or abuse your products and how can you design ways for them to be safer uh, from I guess, an ethical perspective. So it's a cool website. Uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes, but it's humanebydesign.com. So another cool resource by John or Jan Leblonsky. Yeah, so this is stuff like ask for confirmation when you're doing a destructive action or something like that, or don't automatically check newsletter checkboxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, this makes sense. So that was a cool cool find this week, but that was the only... Uh, only news that I saw this week. Do you have anything? Uh, well, we do have another new thing that came up, but I think you're going to make that uh, your one cool thing. Oh, right. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. We did get a listener question this week that uh, I think is worth talking about. Okay. This one came uh, as a private direct message to me on Spectrum. Mm. So so many avenues for, for communication. Brian. <laughs> yeah, we've got Spectrum, Twitter DMs, emails. Uh, we got a Facebook message this week. Yeah. Uh, you're keeping Marshall and I on our notification toes. Uh, this one came <laughs> in true. through Spectrum. And uh, the TLDR is this person has been working at a startup for three years, doesn't know if the startup is going to go anywhere. And the question is, should I stay and fight the good fight or should I go to a bigger company and make more moolah? Marshall, <laughs> hit me with your your gut on this one. Man, three long three years is a long time to invest in a startup and not knowing if it's going to go anywhere. Like I would expect at that point you would you would have a pretty good idea of the, the viability of the product. So if you're questioning it, maybe it's not good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, and, and also you're talking to a guy who has worked at a bigger company for you know a long time, or actually only worked at two big companies. So maybe not the best person to ask. This is why we should have other people on the show, probably. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you gotta listen to your gut, right? If your if your gut is telling you this thing is going nowhere and you're just sinking years into something that's a waste of time, then yeah, follow your gut or your heart or your head. 
whichever is telling you this is a bad idea or but i mean if you're just getting cold feet and like you're you're close to a point where it's going to turn around or you know another seed round or a launch or something like that I, I i don't know if the person has already launched the thing and it just hasn't taken off yet or what yeah i think my take on this is probably the same as yours but maybe there's one way to think about it is like are you still learning there like i don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with earning a paycheck at a startup where you are continually being pushed and learning and growing. Like if you can look back at each of those three years individually and say, my abilities from one to two grew an incredible amount, two to three, same, same story. And then three and onwards, like I'm still being pushed. Then that seems like a compelling reason to stay. Even if it's not, even if things don't work out, like you'll come away from that having been pushed for a really long time. And a lot of times the startup environment's the right place to get pushed that hard. Which if you do leave, that's that's a great way to, you know, something to talk about in your subsequent interviews at other places, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a good story. But if, if you're if you're going through the motions, I think I got this a little bit towards the end at, at Buffer was if you're going through the motions and you're just showing up each day and like hoping that a big client like hoping a sales cycle finishes or hope hoping a marketing push works or or hoping you raise a new funding around like things that are entirely out of your control that you can't learn from that doesn't feel like a compelling reason to stay so if you found yourself doing that for too long maybe that's a good sign but i don't think there's anything wrong with staying at a place where you're learning and being challenged and you enjoy the people there like even if it's not the the big tech company brand name on your resume i don't think there's anything wrong with that because you'll you'll come away with it from so much that you can then, you know, sell sell at your next interview process. Yeah, there's always the 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 risk of the sunk cost fallacy or like, oh, I've worked here three years and we're almost there and I've already put so much time into it that like I should just keep staying because if I leave now, then I'll have lost all of that effort that I put into it, you know, sunk cost. So be aware that that's a thing you could fall into. And if you still feel good about it, then yeah, no problem in staying. But yeah, as long as you're learning and that's a valuable thing to you, then staying seems like a, a decent move. But yeah, ultimately, follow your heart. <laughs> Listen to what's deep inside. I, I don't think there's any shame in having a failed resume on your startup because nope. most startups fail. <laughs> Do you know how many features I've worked on inside of a large company that never saw the light of day? Like, I've failed a bunch, you know? Yeah, and, and anybody who's been in a startup has this experience, like high likelihood of failure it's not a big deal and in fact a lot of times you will come away from that having learned things that you could have never possibly learned at a big company you learn more in failure than you do in success yeah <laughs> it's true though i totally agree so anonymous hopefully that helped a little bit or if you're in a similar situation listener and, and you're wondering whether you should stay or should you go should you stay or should you go thank you that's where i was going <laughs> Yeah, follow your heart and and think about what you're actually getting out of the your current role and how much that differs from what your ideal role would be or what the ones that are being offered to you would offer or would would provide. It, it is a sticky situation though. It can feel like you're it can feel like you've you've like the whole sunk cost fallacy. It's like I've been here for so long if I leave what you know like all of this effort that I put in is gone I'm have to start over. Well, you're not really starting over because you like people will recognize your your work and even if it's a failure if the work you like failure overall if the work you did is solid and good and you're not the reason that it failed then <laughs> um, no one's going to hold that against you, right? I think the other thing that could be really hard at a startup is 
it's just a smaller team and the relationships there might actually be tighter than they are at a bigger company. And so saying goodbye to that can feel a little bit like betrayal. Yep. Like I don't think many people feel like they're betraying Google if they leave Google. <laughs> but if you're leaving a, a 10 person company and you've been there for three years and like you are intimate with the the founders and and you're saying, yeah, I don't believe in this company anymore. And your absence will leave a void that will hurt whatever is left over. Yeah. That can feel like betrayal. I would say it probably feels more like betrayal than it actually is betrayal. Because it's not like at the end of the day, you got to look out for yourself and, and pick the path that's right for you and, and makes you happy and, and challenges you and helps you learn things that you want to learn. But I understand how that's like a something that keeps people in a place for too long is is not wanting to let other people down. I think there's something to be said of the idea of like, if you're not happy, you're not doing your best work. Or if you're distracted at work, you're not doing the, your best work. And it, it's in everyone's best interest for you to be working on something you want to be working on and for the, them to have someone in that role that is excited about that role. So if you've if you've felt senioritis in yourself or whatever, you know, and you feel like you aren't putting as much in as you could, it might be in the best interest of everyone to get someone in there that will put 100% in and you can find something for yourself that you can put 100% into, you know? Yeah. The sooner you leave, the more time they have to find somebody that will be enthusiastic about it. Mm -hmm. And and likely... If you do do that, um, do do. If you do do that, <laughs> nice that transition. Like you should probably be responsible for your replacement. Like helping find your replacement. Don't just cut and run, right? You want to uh, make sure that you're leaving behind every project that you've been working on and in a good state, so that it doesn't just like die as soon as you walk out the door. Yeah, yeah. Among ways to leave companies, there are good ways and there are bad ways. Startups, there's probably more bad ways than there are good ways. So just be careful. That's partially why it took me so long to get to Google once I was given the offer. Is like I, I took an extra month to make sure that all of my live projects were, you know, handed off cleanly to the to the next person at my last company before I moved. You know, I think it was uh, Christy Tillman on Twitter at some point tweeted, you know, in our in our world, there's no such thing as a two weeks notice, and I do agree with that because I think two weeks notice is really that's coming from a world where you don't have projects that last longer than two weeks. Like if you're a cashier and you put in two weeks notice, that's just giving someone time to hire a replacement. But if you work in a field like ours where you have month-long projects or multiple multi-month projects or the the cycle to hire someone is, is multiple months, like two weeks notice actually is not a professional thing. It's It can be quite bad for, for everyone involved. I think it's really about like tying loose ends and making sure that they hand off as smooth as possible. And if that takes two weeks, that's great. But if it takes two months, then that's what you got to do. Yep. Agree. Not that you have an obligation, but that's just the more professional way to, to go about yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, don't burn bridges, right? Right. Uh, you want to keep your bridges intact and um, just, yeah, leaving a project in the middle of it and, and not helping it land nicely after your departure is one great way to burn a bridge. So uh, make sure, yeah, make sure that you're being responsible not only in, in the thing that you choose to go to, but in the way that you leave, the place you leave. I feel like we could talk for a long time about leaving companies. Like, what are good ways to do it? Not Yeah, maybe we'll do a longer... Yeah, that could be a topic we could circle around to. Cool. Cool. Uh, hopefully that was useful to Anonymous, who DM'd me, and uh, obviously we're not going to say any names here, but if you end up uh, deciding to leave that startup, uh, let us know. It'd be interesting yeah. to see if there's a, a follow-up on that one. Agree. All right, Marshall. 
Let's get into some meat. Let's do it. So I so I teased it <laughs> last week, and and uh, we're gonna try and keep this episode short, so I, I won't go into my normal long winded bullshit. But um, I'm gonna talk about file hygiene. Oh, and this is you know sketch specific in the kind of tools that I'm gonna recommend, but the principles are universal. All right, so you're a designer. You're working on a file. You're making you're making some mocks. You're pushing around them rectangles and them text boxes. The best right? rectangles, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And eventually, you either have to hand this file off to another designer or you're going to output it for a an engineer to implement. When that happens, you want to make sure that you are... In the same way that we're talking about with the with the job stuff, is like you want to set up the next person who takes your thing to be in as good of a place as possible. And um, a great way to do that is to make sure that your file is well organized and you have general good like organizational hygiene. So how do we do that, Brian? Yeah, easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. So exactly, this is not an easy thing to do. This is not a this is not a thing you do once. It is a way of life, my friend. Right. This is a this is a um, a muscle memory thing. It's something that you need to get to the point where you just do it without thinking about it, and then it's no longer a chore because it is a bit of a chore, right? You know, you're basically cone marrying your your files, right? <laughs> sure. Does this layer spark joy? <laughs> yeah. Is it hidden? If it is, then maybe it doesn't. Yeah, maybe delete that b boy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, initially, when you when you start doing this, it, it's going to feel like uh, a lot of work. And and we all know that as we're working, you know, you kind of work dirty, and it's not the most organized thing. As you're going through, you have layers named rectangle five hundred and seventy one, and you have hidden groups and all sorts of stuff all over the place, and duplicate artboards and blah blah blah. And that's not good for a file that you want to hand off. So how do we clean these things up? Or what are some principles we can use uh, to make sure that we are in good shape? So I have, I have a short list. So the, the first thing that I would recommend in reference to the Rectangle 571 is rename your layers as, essentially as soon as you make them. Uh, and, and the best way to do this is to have a keyboard shortcut uh, assigned to easily rename a layer. I think in Sketch it's Command R by default, but whatever that happens to be, basically every time I add a rectangle or an oval or any any sort of object, um, except for text boxes, text boxes I usually leave the automated name based on the the content of the text box. But everything else, as soon as I'm done drawing it, I Command R and type in the name of what that thing is: avatar, uh, bounds, container, bar, whatever it happens to be. I call it that. I'm a fan of title case when it comes to layer and group naming. So capital letters at the beginning of every word, except for uh, articles and, and uh, prepositions. <laughs> so uh, I know some people are big lowercase fans, everything all lowercase. I find that harder to read. Ultimately, it's up to you. It really doesn't matter. It's more of a, a flavor thing. But as, as long as you're naming all your stuff, if, if you go through and you see any layers named rectangle or group, or anything like that, you done you done goofed. So, uh, and and the best way to do this is not to do a sweep after you're done making the file, like because uh, you're never done making the file. The best thing to do is just do it as you go. And what happens if the purpose of that layer or that group changes? Just rename it at the time that the purpose changes, or do you have to always like? Is there an inevitable sweep at the end of the process every time? Typically, yeah. So typically, as you're as you're kind of 
feeling around in the dark trying to, to figure things out, you're likely just using regular layers. But as the file becomes more mature, you should start converting things into symbols so that you're being more efficient in the way that you use each layer so that if you do change something, it changes across the entire file. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm, I actually have more questions about that, but I'll ask Go, it. Yeah, hit me, hit me. Well, I, I just want to know what your sort of mental mode is of when you decide to convert something from a group to a symbol. Like when, when do you know that the file is mature enough that it should be symbolized instead of just still being in the move as quickly as possible and, and be messy mode to get as many ideas down as possible? What does that transition look like? Typically, it's if I have the same element on two different artboards and that element needs to be the exact same thing on both of those artboards. Oh, so you do it early. Yeah, as, as soon as I recognize that there is something that's that's duplicated and I'm going to have to select two things at once in order to change one thing, whether that's like a, um, a background layer or you know two text boxes to, to change the, the font color or something like that. As soon as I notice myself doing that, that's when I start to make a symbol. And the cool thing is that like your symbol naming and all that stuff, the organization of your symbols can change over time as you realize that certain elements are kind of grouped together and you have a bunch of a certain type of thing then you might want to create a subcategory that keeps those on its own row or whatever. And I'll, I'll talk about how that works. But for me, it happens early. And this is just because I'm anal retentive and a little bit OCD. So I need to, <laughs> um, I need to make sure. And, and also, I know how many hours I've wasted of my life trying to go back and, and you know fix multiple instances of the same thing that aren't actually a symbol. So in order to you know, maximize my time on this earth, I, uh, I I go to symbols sooner rather than later. And typically the way that I, I lay out my screens is, if you've ever worked in, in uh, HTML, like I try to think in divs, if that makes sense. So I'm more of a spans guy. <laughs> paragraphs. Um, <laughs> I, I think about things as basically like little little building blocks, like Legos that, that snap together. So... So for example, let's say you're making a, a tab bar, right? And it has five tabs on the tab bar. Instead of having each icon and text label be equally spaced from the others, it makes sense to wrap each tab in its own kind of bounds layer that, that is basically a, a no-fill, no-border blank layer that only defines its area in order to determine how large the, the group of those elements should be. So it, it defines its own space, and then you can snap it right next to the next tab, and all of those, those tabs can like butt right up next to each other instead of having to have like kind of arbitrary spacing between their contained elements, if that makes sense. Totally. Okay. I, li I like to include like margin and, and padding and things like that inside those, those bounds as well. Like I think an example would be like if you had a text layer that was a title component for a screen, like that large bold text, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you could just manually nudge it 16 dips from the left edge of the screen, or you could actually just put a bounding box that is full width of the screen and then nudge it in 16 from the bounding box so that if all of your components fill the width of the screen, you never have, to, like you can just mouse up and down vertically and like you're never worried about not hitting uh, a specific row of, of components. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, basically everything is wrapped with, with a bounds layer. So if you look at, if you look at my files, basically every group 
the bottom layer in that group is named bounds and it has no fill, it has no border, it has no nothing. It's, it's just a rectangle that defines the area of that component. And, and by doing that, I'm able to snap everything together and there's no dead space. It's basically Legos, right? And that's what I mean by thinking in divs. So you're, you're kind of defining these parent groups that, that all snap together and you can assemble your screens from these things. And eventually maybe those groups want to be symbols unto themselves. But yeah, I found that to be incredibly useful, regardless of whether or not the layer has a background or anything. Like if it's a bar, like we're saying with the tab bar, like that, that would have a filled background. But potentially, usually what you want to do is just have a, a clear background so that whatever you use for your background in the actual artboard sees through and, and the, the symbol, the, the layer is, uh, the, sorry, the group is agnostic to the background that it sits on. Yeah. It, for those of you that use Figma instead of Sketch, frames would be the tool here. So actually, instead of using groups, you would use frames. So the thing about Sketch is that it, it automatically shrinks the group size to the um, maximum extent of its co contents and no larger. The cool thing about Figma is that you can make a frame, a group, arbitrary sized regardless of its, of its uh, contents. So you can actually use the frame itself as the bounds, Yep, which is a really nice feature. It saves you a layer, right? Yeah, once I started doing that, my life became a whole lot easier. But also because the uh, the responsive features behave according to the parent frame, not the parent group. So if everything's a frame, like if you never use groups ever again, you're probably fine. But you get all this benefit of not worrying about like the size of the contents relative to the size of the group or things like that. Yeah, and I think, yeah, you, you mentioned responsiveness. Like the pinning is super useful in this because of like what you mentioned, the, the parent aspect of it, of like uh, using the parent layer to determine how the nested layers, the ch child layers, uh, will react to resizing. So if you've set up your pinning accurately, like you said, 16 from the left, um, regardless of what the width of that object is, it will always be have have proper margin margins Ugh. it will always have proper margins 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 stanley yeah stock playing connect all right so let's do a little recap here so the first thing you want to do is you want to make sure that you're renaming your layers as soon as you make them that way you don't have to do a a later catch up where you have to like go through and monotonously uh rename everything that sucks just do it at the time and you'll save yourself a lot of pain and trouble later on. Uh, the next thing you want to do is you want to make sure that all of your groups have bounds, so their their uh, size is defined by the contents, including that bounds layer or some sort of container, uh, so that you can snap things together really nicely. And then uh, the last thing you want to do is you want to recognize when something that you've already made is uh, being used multiple times and uh, convert that to a symbol as soon as you realize that it's going to be used a lot in a different bunch of different instances. Love it. Loving. What's next? Okay, so what can we do to make our lives easier uh, by following some of these rules? My preference is with plugins because they they just do things real nicely for you. You don't have to do stuff as manually. So so the first one that I would recommend is a plugin called Layer Tools. Uh, this is a massive, massive plugin. It puts four different menu items into... Uh, your plugins menu. Uh, so you have rename, you have select, you have sort and list, and you have toggle. The big one here is going to be rename and select. And th that allows you to uh, select layers that have a specific name. So if you do have layers that are called rectangle number, 
you can just select all of the layers that have the word rectangle in them and then bulk rename them if you want to. Like usually those are my bounds layers, right? I just like make a rectangle and forget to call it bounds. But yeah, this this allows you to do you know macros for these large scale renaming and changes of of uh, organizational stuff. Another one that I like is called Automate. This is another massive plugin, and there's some overlap in in between these two plugins. But a few cool things that this one does is if you go to Automate Layer, you can remove redundant groups, so uh, groups that. Um, don't have any contents other than another group, it will kill that parent group so that you have like the skinniest hierarchy as possible. Yep. Remove hidden layers. So if you've got a bunch of hidden stuff in your file that like was your first attempt and you ended up hiding it and doing a a second version on top of it and forgot about that first one, this will just go through and blow away all those hidden layers, which is really nice. And then the last one is uh, empty groups. So remove empty groups. So anything that is a group that doesn't actually have anything in it, an empty group, get rid of that thing. It's useless. It doesn't actually serve any purpose. There's also the ability to rename multiple layers at once using this plugin. So another plugin that I would recommend is called uh, Artboard Manager. So this will, uh, this is like a an automatic thing that I'm a, I'm a huge fan of. So by default, Sketch will put your artboards like 100 pixels apart. And uh, you kind of have to manually manage that unless you're just creating a new artboard. It'll it'll put it down. But this artboard manager thing, it allows you to to define the distance, both in X and in Y, between all of your artboards, and it happens automatically. So as you move artboards around, they snap to those distances between each other. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, it's outstanding. I used to do so much manual management of artboards, and this is, yeah, you just like, oh, I, I need this artboard to be between these other two ones. I'll just drag it to the space between, let go, and it pushes everything else out really nicely. Oh, shit, that sounds really nice. That makes me want to use Sketch again. <laughs> and it wraps to new lines if you drag it down. Oh, it's great. Yeah, super useful. A similar thing that works with symbols is symbol organizer. So um, this is a little bit more manual in that like, you kind of have to hit a keyboard shortcut to redo it or to, you know, to update. But it allows you to do the kind of same thing. So uh, define the distances between all of your symbol artboards, but also it will group them and name them. There's a bunch of different tweaks you can do to this. So for example, you can configure it to how many layers down in the hierarchy you want to be the cutoff for where for how it defines new sections of your symbols. It's kind of hard to describe this. You should probably just download it and and check it out. But by default, when you create symbols, they're basically just in one long row that goes off to infinity from left to right, and that's not super useful. It's a great way to make your symbols page become a dumping ground that you never look at again, right? Yep. So with uh, Symbol Organizer, it allows uh, you to... It, it provides more value to your symbol naming conventions because it, it allows you to group those things based on the name. So uh, I'm, I'm sure you're aware, but I'll say it anyways. When you uh, name a symbol, you can include a forward slash, and that will basically create a hierarchy. So you know, parent slash child slash child, and uh, you can tell Symbol Organizer at which child to start being specific in how it defines the rows. Oh, that's so nice. So uh, I'm working on this file. It's um, I'm redesigning the New York Times crossword puzzle, and I have uh, a symbol, for example, called component bar navigation bar, uh, or actually navigation large. So this is like the large navigation bar at the top. 
But because it's called component slash bar slash navigation large, it get, gets grouped along with other things that are also component bars. Similarly, I have all of my headers called component slash header slash and then something specific. So like component slash header slash title, component slash header slash title and subtitle uh, or title and actions. Um, and because all of these have the same parent structure of component slash header slash, they all get put on the same row. And I can, I can move that up a layer and say, uh, up a level of the hierarchy and say, uh, no, all my components get put together in one row. And, that, and that's a little bit less granular as far as the, the structure goes. I find that the third or second level uh, of hierarchy makes the most sense as far as like grouping things into large but not too large and small but not too small of groups in your symbols uh, symbols page. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this is a quick rundown, hopefully, hopefully quick, maybe not that quick, of how I lay out my files and some of the ways that I keep them clean. Maybe one thing I'll do is maybe I'll send a link to this sketch file. So th this is just a little stupid side project thing that I'm doing. Like I, I play the crossword, New York Times crossword puzzle basically every day. And uh, the app is is suboptimal to my to my preference. So as is my want, I, I redesign things that I think are lacking and never show them to anybody. But maybe I'll just show them show this to people. You should. You should. Marshall is being very humble. This looks great. This would be very useful for people to poke around. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, maybe that, yeah, that's, I think the, that's the most important thing is that it's like, it's easier to just see what I'm talking about than for me to talk through it. Go figure it's a podcast. But yeah, I'll, I'll share this file on SketchCloud and make it viewable and commentable to people. It's not perfect. This is just something I've been working on like nights and weekends for, for funzos. But yeah, take a look at it and you can kind of see some of the philosophies that I've been talking about in practice and hopefully take those philosophies and put them into your own projects and make your engineers happier and your fellow designers happier. Because uh, I actually get complimented quite a bit on my, my, my organization, like my file organization. I think also like organization of everything else in your life in general you're generally an organized person that's true yeah so yeah. <laughs> so if that says anything about uh the quality of these sketch files y'all you need to go poke around it's gonna be great i'm, I'm a little maniacal but, but yeah <laughs> it's normally normally it's a it's a crippling thing but um i've managed to make it work for me so <laughs> you've turned a weakness into a strength <laughs> yeah exactly and i get paid for it so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll share this out and uh, take a look at it. If you if you like it, or if you learn anything from it, let me know. That's kind of the whole point of this podcast is to like share knowledge and help the community. So if you get anything out of this, let me know, and um, maybe we'll we'll do more things like this in the future. All right, so that was the meat. Hopefully, it was tasty. Links abound in the show notes for for all those sketch plugins too. Also, by the way, just hearing about some of those plugins makes me want to use Sketch again because Figma <laughs> is great, but it just is missing the plugin ecosystem. Do they have any way of including, like, can you write anything for it? Like, they have the API. I think it's just still early and it's mostly read. So I don't know what they have in terms of write APIs, but... um, Gotcha. Yeah, they, they're just missing that plugin ecosystem. And even if they come out with it today, they're still years behind sketch it's funny because sketch is so behind in terms of uh web and and multi-platform compatibility but figma is just behind in, in what the entire world of designers has built that sits on top of sketch that sketch doesn't have to worry about 
So I do miss that as you're talking about these organizational things, like the quality of life things that somebody else had this really annoying thing of nudging artboards around and they just wrote a script for it. And now everybody gets that for free. Like that's really incredible. So yeah. And, and usually the way I find these things is I use uh, runner. Oh yeah. yeah. Which is a, which is a great plugin. It's basically spotlight for your sketch. Um, you can insert symbols and jump to different pages. And one of the things you can do is you can go to the install tab and just basically type a term and it will filter down all of the plugins that exist Amazing. to just that one term. So if you, if you, type rename it will show you all of the all of the sketch plugins that allow you to rename stuff and that's that's the way i found most of these things is like i got sick of managing my artboards so i typed artboard and found artboard manager and i was like oh this is exactly what i wanted why did i wait so long to to look into this <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah links abound in the show notes check that out uh, i will i will be thorough in my documentation um also i'll include a link to this sketch file and uh, i'll put it in the well, I don't know. I think you can probably, I'll allow you to download it so you can use it in, if you have uh, Sketch. R uh, regardless of that, you can you can view the, the artboards themselves, but I don't think that's as useful because it won't show you the organization. Yeah, it's mostly the layer organizations. most interesting. I guess what you could also do, Marshall, is before we publish this, is just try and import it into Figma and make sure the import goes smoothly, and then you could just share the Figma link for people who don't use Sketch. Sure, yeah, I'll do that too. Okay. I'll like I would click that link for sure because I don't own Sketch. Okay. Yeah, and it's a little bit more universal through Figma. Anybody yeah, with yeah. a browser can see it. Can get it for free. Yeah. Cool. All right. So uh, hopefully that was helpful to you, and um, check out the show notes for further links. But let's get into some cool things, my friend. Let's do it. You want to go first? Yeah. Sure. So this week uh, saw a cool link floating around called Nova, which is a experimental take on redesigning the web browser for the way that we interact with the web today made for neo workers i don't know what the hell that means yeah that was a new term to me as well <laughs> I, I see what they're trying to do i don't know if it works but sure yeah i think case studies like this i, I mean i guess this is a thing that you can download and use no this is a real thing i downloaded it in a music yeah this isn't a behance project okay <laughs> good i want to get yeah. your your feedback on it but they ha they provide plenty of examples and videos showing how this works but the the premise is uh, websites are no longer static pages. Most websites are becoming more like apps. And uh, Nova tries to rethink how would we redesign the web browser if we knew that every site that you visited was an app instead of just a static web page. Did I get that basically right? Mm -hmm. So it, it's cool. I, uh, this is a cool thing. I don't know that it's particularly compelling for me to use on a day-to-day. -day. I think the thing that it's missing is while major corporate tech websites are no longer static web pages, the majority of the internet is still static web pages. And so I like the dream here is like, oh yeah, wouldn't it be cool if there was an easier way to interact with websites as though they were apps? Um, but that's just not the way the web works. And I actually don't know that I see that changing a lot in the next 10 years. Like sure, you'll have your Twitters and your Facebooks and your Airbnbs and like these things that feel like apps. But for the most part, I think most websites are going to feel like websites for a long, long time. Uh, I could be dead wrong on that. Like uh, we see a lot of work happening with progressive web apps that that Chrome in the recent Chrome version, you can install uh, websites that have PWA enabled uh, to run app like via Chrome. So like they're making progress there. But for the most part, apps or websites feel like websites. And uh, a progressive web app is generally something that has like some sort of offline capability. Like, have you ever loaded 
Twitter and noticed, actually, you could do this right now. Don't do this while we're recording. Okay. But if, if you turn off your internet connection and go to twitter.com. Okay, I'm turning off my internet connection. <laughs> uh, you'll notice that like the nav bar of Twitter loads, the background loads. It'll load in all the sort of like placeholder sections and they'll all have loading spinners there. And what cached. that's done is, yeah, it's booted code from that's been cached on your browser. And what they can do is actually cache some content in your browser as well. So in theory, you can view pages offline as well. And so Chrome just recently enabled the feature where you can install a PWA as an app, which basically removes it as a tab from Chrome. It, it has its own window. It, I think it runs off um, like the theme color. You can provide a theme color. So it has its own like header. Uh, it's really, really nice feature. So I feel that's probably the future is more and more websites going the PWA route. But I don't know. You actually used it, Marshall. So you have more more credibility here in describing the experience of Nova. Tell me about it. Well, I don't know about credibility. <laughs> experience, maybe. Yeah. So I don't like it. <laughs> okay. Why not? Why not? And it, it's really simple. I think it's I think it's pretty well designed. I think the idea is good. The problem for me is that, well, I think the premise behind this is like, fuck tabs. You don't want to have tabs. It's not tabs. It's apps. Well, the apps have tabs in them, but it's still apps, right? And it gives you, basically, it's a duplicated OS inside an application, right? So you have your own desktop, you have your own Windows, you have a, a second dock, right, for all of these, for these web apps. The problem is the window, the application that these things live inside of is self-contained. You can't drag the windows of these like little app sites outside of the container window of the app itself. So it is constrained by the operating system. Yeah. So you, you basically have this little sandbox where all your web stuff happens instead of a web browser technically. But really what I would want to do is treat those windows. If you're calling them apps, let me treat them like apps. Let me drag you know, YouTube out, let me drag Gmail out and have it, you know, be a separate window on my on my desktop, which I guess I could do with separate browser windows. But I don't know, I feel like that's defeating the purpose of the app. Um, I don't know. Also, there was some weird stuff. I assume this is due to being early on in development. But like in that dock, you can't drag around the order of the things you have to right click, move up, right click, move up, right click, move up, um, which is really annoying. And it puts a big fat header, it puts a big fat like uh, bar at the top of every single site. So it's it's wrapped in this window and it gives you stuff like minimize, maximize, all that. But the problem is that it's visible when you have it maximized. So it's actually taking, you, you have the Chrome of the application and then you have the Chrome of the window and then you have the Chrome of the website. It just creates like all this extra wasted space that goes away yeah. if you were to like, for example, full screen uh, a site, right? Or full screen your web browser. It just gets rid of all the tabs and everything. You can still get them by, by hovering at the top of the window. But I don't know. I feel like the purpose this is made for is is kind of undone by the by the restrictions of being in a confined application. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Like they they have to play by the rules of living within an application on mac os what i was really hoping this would be is just like a better fluid if you remember fluid uh i don't know fluid fluid is a way to basically it's 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 basically kind of what i want which is freestanding app windows that are dedicated sites so you can say you can go to youtube and be like okay make this a fluid browser window and it will 
blow oh, away all the chrome. Oh, yeah. oh, dude, you're gonna love this uh, chrome PWA thing then. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I want, right? Like the way I lay out my my desktop at work, I have I have two Thunderbolt monitors. My my main monitor is Sketch. My laptop below is like email and browser stuff, and then on the left I have kind of all my productivity stuff. So I have, you know, messages and uh, music and my to-do list and like a, a, a YouTube window or something like that open. So I'll, I'll have kind of all of my productivity stuff laid out in a grid on the left side, which I use Moom, uh, I've mentioned yep. before, yep. To, to lay all that stuff out. And really what I want is like to be able to insert YouTube as, a, as an app in that grid, uh, but I can't because it's locked inside of the larger Nova window. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's pretty. And I was actually a little bit let down by the app icon itself. Like if you look at the the branding page, like if you look at the, the website, it's got all these cool like gradient circles, like yellow, blue, and red, like really primary and curvy lines and stuff. And the the app icon is kind of... It's like a refresh icon kind of? A bit of a letdown. Yeah. It's like a, a strike through, like oh, a theta. Oh, yeah. I was looking at the, the favicon actually. Yeah. No, the, yeah, the, this theta thing. I actually like the fav icon far better. That's a much better symbol in my mind. But yeah, this kind of looks like lame on my dock. <laughs> um, and if it inc- included some of those really nice punchy primary colors with the gradients and the circles, like I would, like the, this graphic on the top right of the site, this yellow, blue, red circle thing, like that would make a better icon for this thing than, than the shirt. Sure theta mm-hmm. symbol anyways yeah i mean it's okay it's okay and and if you have different needs than the needs i have like the idea of like splitting all of the different sites off into separate apps so you don't have gmail living right next to airbnb living right next to facebook like that's pretty cool and and it works the way they say it does it's just the problem is the sandbox of of the app itself got it well good to know yeah cool thing yeah cool thing anyone could poke around um yeah check it out i mean it's free it seems like the 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 pwa series actually may be the more helpful cool thing um i i put a link in, in in the show notes as well for how to install progressive web apps using the new version of chrome so people cool. can poke around that and see what websites support it. i think spectrum supports it as well you can install spectrum as a PWA. Oh shit! Yeah, the funny thing is, YouTube was not an option. They have a, like an app store where you can find all of the major things you're looking for, and in addition to like the thousands of Web 2.0 productivity app things that came out that yep. all, all end in R. Yeah, you can you can find all those, but YouTube isn't one of them. Should have been called YouTuber. YouTuber. Oh my god. Yep. <laughs> Without an E at the end, of course. I was thinking about that the other day. I was like. I kind of miss the days where everything ended in R. It's like <laughs> it was an exciting time. Well, cool thing, Brian. Yeah, I will what also you? say a cool thing. So, yeah, hit me. no more toilets. No more. No more. Uh, we moved out of the bathroom finally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and and moving to Medium. So I was joking last time, but yeah, I'm going to recommend a Medium article this time. So uh, this is actually something that came out a while ago. Um, I read it while I was in Japan. And I forgot about it, but Chrome recently redesigned their kind of Omnibox is what it's called, like the the address bar, the location bar, I think it's what it's called. Anyways, they call it Omnibar because it not only does it handle the address, but it, it handles your search queries. So you'd think that redesigning that bar would be relatively easy, wouldn't you? It's just a, a rectangle, right, It's just Marshall? a rectangle. <laughs> it's just a little box. Um no, it's not. It's very complicated. And this article written by Hannah Lee, who is a designer at Google on uh, the Chrome browser for Android and it looks like f- just Chrome in general, she writes this long 
and very thorough and super informative uh, article about how the team went about going through the process of, of redesigning this box inside of a box inside of a box and uh, all the permutations and you know, making a sticker sheet and what that means and all the different device sizes that are necessary, cleaning up the UI colors and different text styles that are available, cleaning up all of the icons that are visible in the UI. Yeah, it's really thorough, really well done, super informative like of, of how this team works and how, how you approach a seemingly simple project that, that once you get into it, balloons into giant scope. Yeah, yeah. This is something I've run into before. You're like, oh, I'll just redesign the YouTube player. That should be easy, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. a play button and so, you know, a pause and like a little scrubber bar. Like that's, easy. that's all there is to it. Mm-mm. There's so much. There's so much. Especially with something like this that has like been built upon for years, years and years. And years and, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of legacy there. There are things that you see as a user that make it seem simple like oh yeah i only ever see like a website name or a, a search query like no there's a thousand other things that have been accounted for for users that have different problems than you have and you're completely unaware of them but they exist and you need to know about them if you're going to do a redesign so right i found this super interesting it's a it's a like i said it's a long article but it is worth the read so that's my cool thing. Very cool. So Marshall, let's wrap up. Yeah. Okay. Let's get out of here. Thank you so much to everyone who listened. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you thought. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. I guess the best way to get in touch with us is still Twitter DMs, but people are finding our emails and messaging us on, on Facebook. and Yeah, I'm going to do a better job of a- including contact information in the, oh, in the yeah. show notes. So if you, if you want to get a hold of us, the best way to do that would be just look in the show notes. Um, obviously, there's Twitter, but um, I'll, I'll put our email addresses in there and... That way we can not have to look at 20 different things to, to find out who's talking to us. And, and we might not respond to everything, but we're reading everything and, and we'll try and get back to people or, or answer questions on the shows as fast as we can. But yeah, if your question hasn't been answered on the episode after you asked it, that doesn't mean we ignored it or didn't see it or we'll never answer it. It's just the, you know, we're trying to account for time. Yes. If you want more podcasts like this one to listen to, go to spec.fm. We've got a lot of shows for designers and developers just like you. It's all at spec.fm. Of course, thank you so much to Sarah and Drew, our producers and editors who also produce shows on, on the Spec Network. They make this episode possible and hopefully they'll make me sound less drowsy than I feel. So... Thank <laughs> You've you, done Sarah. a good job of hanging in there. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah and Drew, for, for your work. And uh, yeah, I think that's it, Marshall. Oh, yeah. And a special thanks to uh, Sarah and Drew, especially Drew, for last week's episode, oh, which boy. was very long and took him three days to edit so thank you drew for <laughs> going through that uh, that mire oh boy well another week yeah we'll uh, catch you next week and we're looking forward to talking to everyone uh, on twitter until then all right brian well thanks for another episode <laughs> sorry dude i'm trying so hard i hope you feel better man uh let's let's get out of here and you can uh, take some drugs and feel better and yeah uh, we'll talk next week yeah let's wrap all right bye-bye bye